She's the only Democrat in Iowa's federal delegation, and her race for re-election is a target for both parties nationally. We sit down with 3rd District Congresswoman Cindy Axney on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Fuel Iowa is a voice and a resource for Iowa's fuel industry. Our members offer a diverse range of products, including fuel, grocery, and convenience items. They help keep Iowans on the move in rural and urban communities. Together, we fuel Iowa. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, October 28th edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. This fall, Iowa Press has brought you a series of candidate interviews and debates leading up to the November 8th general election. Today's guest is running in for Congress in the 3rd District. This is the first election cycle with Iowa's redrawn congressional districts. The 3rd District covers parts of Central, South Central, and Southwest Iowa. It includes the Des Moines metro area in Polk and Dallas counties, as well as the cities of Jefferson, Atlantic, Red Oak, Clarinda in the southwest corner, then across to Creston, Osceola, Centerville, and Ottumwa in the southeast. This year's 3rd District Congressional candidates were invited to debate on Iowa PBS. Republican Zach Nunn declined our invitation. Our guest today, Democrat Cindy Axney, accepted. Congresswoman Cindy Axney is running for her third term in the U.S. House. Welcome back to Iowa Press. Thank you. Joining the conversation, Brianne Fonnensteel of the Des Moines Register. Congresswoman, you appeared at a virtual fundraiser with President Joe Biden this week. Des Moines Register polling shows he's one of the least popular presidents in, in recent memory here in Iowa. Why did you decide to make that appearance with him? Well, uh, you know, the president has done a lot for this country as we've moved through uh, the issues of COVID, uh, then supply chain agendas and inflation. And is we are, as a Democratic Congress and as the president's administration, working very hard to address those issues, put money in people's pockets, and make sure that, you know, we got folks out of COVID, got the economy back on track, uh, work to make sure that uh, businesses were staying open, have been dealing with the supply chain agenda issues, obviously uh, dealing with the issues folks are feeling at the pump and in the, in the grocery store. Uh, so I'll be honest, uh, you know, we've done a good job uh, ensuring that the United States has come out of COVID in a much better uh, position than many other countries. Uh, so I, you know, I believe uh, the president coming on uh, just shows that, you know, I support all those good things that we've been able to get done, uh, like lowering the cost of prescription drugs and limiting uh, the cost of uh, diabetes insulin at $35 an hour. So I wanted folks to know uh, everything that we've done, uh, 
join us if they felt like it, hear directly from the president uh, how much we've changed the, changed the economic opportunity for folks in this country, and we know we've got a lot more to do, uh, but to really have a sit-down uh, with the president. I will tell you this, I've said to folks all along, I'll never give up uh, having an opportunity with the president to be in front of any of my constituents. I said that when President Trump was running. I tried to get into some of his events because I always think it's important to make sure that we get as much time with the president as we can. It, it can only benefit the district. And a Washington Post reporter who was at the event said you, you called him the most impactful president in, in history. Is that what you said and why? Well, he's one of the most impactful presidents in our recent history because of the work that we've been able to get done. Things like uh, the infrastructure bill, uh, which has been talked about, obviously, for years. And, and by the way, this is the most impactful infrastructure bill since the highway system uh, was built. And quite honestly, uh, probably going further than that because it addresses so many things uh, like the uh, worst in the nation bridges that we have here in Iowa and bottom of the barrel broadband connectivity, the, uh, the connectivity of of today. Uh, so things like that uh, have really put us in a new trajectory in this country, bringing new jobs back uh, to this, this country. I would also say things like uh, tax provisions that help middle-class families, uh, but put uh, those folks uh, who aren't paying taxes on notice to pay those. You know, when Amazon comes in here, uh, and is using our roads and bridges, our education system, healthcare system, all that stuff, our employees, um, but yet, uh, you know, only pay the equivalent of 4% tax for multiple years while Main Street's paying, uh, you know, 15, 20%. You know, now they're going to pay 15%. There's a minimum tax. These things are important for our, our economy to thrive. And then lastly, uh, finally, I mean, after decades, getting to negotiate the cost of prescription drugs and just even opening that door so that we're doing it for folks uh, on Medicare, but the ability to get that done for the rest of America, this is huge. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not going to shy away from the good things that, that have been done. Uh, yeah, we're trying to get gas prices down. Uh, yeah, we're trying to make sure that meat, uh, you know, doesn't cost so much in the store or mayonnaise or whatever. We got to work with corporations to make that happen as well. Uh, so I think most folks know that I'll always be honest about where we're at uh, in this country, and there's a lot of good things happening as we continue to work on those things that are harming our families' pockets, pocketbooks. Iowans with uh, televisions and electronic devices are seeing advertisements in this race from your opponent and now from you about the subject of proxy voting. Are you getting questions about the vote that you cast on the Inflation Reduction Act while you were in va on vacation in France? Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely uh, getting questions on that because my opponent has decided to make that an issue. Um, you know, he uh, went in and um, spied on my children's social media, uh, then created what's called a red box on his site, uh, Kay, where that's a call out uh, to external organizations, in this case the NRCC, uh, to run ads on this. So I find it offensive uh, that he would um, bring our kids into this to begin with. Uh, but secondly, to really push forth an agenda that's totally false. Um, you know, we are uh, not in D.C., not in session in August. That's how it is every year, every year. Um, it's the only time uh, we know that we don't have to be called to D.C., the only time. And so uh, because of, you know, my, uh, the, my schedule there and my kids' schedule with school uh, and going off to uh, uh, college, uh, we had a two-week window in which we needed to, that's the only time we had to take a vacation. I planned it during a time where we weren't in session. 
Now, uh, I think we all remember when Manchin uh, and Schumer were able to get their act together over in the Senate and put together the Inflation Reduction Act that we'd voted on in the House months, months prior. I think it was even the prior year. Uh, then the leader of the House decided to call a vote. Um, it happened to be when I wasn't available because I was on vacation, pre-scheduled during a time when we weren't in session, and myself along with approximately 170 other members, including Marionette Miller-Meeks uh, from uh, you know, our other district here, voted via proxy. So um, you know, it wasn't out of the ordinary. It was something that came as out of the ordinary. It was an unexpected vote. And in the end, here's the deal, Kay. I'm always going to vote for something that's positive for Iowa, and it was taking a vote to lower the cost of prescription drugs, for goodness sake, and to produce more energy here in this country, and to push my agenda forward with my legislation uh, to ensure that we got infrastructure build out of biofuels across this country. So I wanted to make sure uh, that I voted for this. Uh, so I'll take the heat uh, because my opponent uh, consistently is lying about how things go down, manipulating the truth, uh, and my uh, the deal is I did what was the right thing to do for Iowa. Do you think proxy voting should continue in 2023? Um, I, listen, I, I think that the Congress should be, uh, you know, modernized to reflect, uh, you know, current organizations today. I don't necessarily think that proxy should be uh, a full-time use of anything. I think that certainly... Uh, it, we should look at opportunities for folks who, when they can't vote, you know, you, if someone gets pregnant, they can't, they're not there. So think about that. They should, you know, if they want to vote, I think there's an opportunity to represent their, their state doing that. Uh, you know, there's, a, you know, folks uh, who are sick. Um, you know, when I tore my MCL, uh, when my dog ran into me, two dogs, uh, you know, I couldn't get there. Uh, so I, I had to proxy. So for, in those kinds of cases, I think we should look at what's reasonable. Um, but it shouldn't be something that is used as a normal activity. Following up on all of these things that voters are seeing on their televisions right now, uh, you know, you've been you've been accused of making illegal stock trades, and this is something that voters are seeing in TV ads. What happened there, and what's your explanation to voters on that issue? Well, the explanation is that's not true. Um, I think both of you know that's not true. Kay actually reported, I believe, on uh, the Office of Congressional Ethics uh, and House Ethics Committee both clearing uh, my name completely uh, because it was a, a false allegation. Uh, you know, so in, in Congress, you're supposed to fill out what are called uh, PTRs, uh, per, uh, personal transaction reports, if you have a, a stock that gets traded. Well, that's if you're trading stock. Now, I only have uh, retirement accounts and kids' 529 college savings accounts. My husband and I have a few of those rolled over from things like my work at the state, right? Uh, we don't make those trades. We don't make the purchases and we don't make the trades. Some third party does it, uh, but yet uh, I was informed uh, through the allegations that were made about me, uh, which actually were uh, from a nonprofit. Uh, started by a Republican who was the uh, federal elections campaign chair under President Bush. So this was, you know, to begin with, something that they wrote in such a way that would create something well beyond uh, just the fact that some paperwork needed to be done. Uh, so we got the paperwork done, and literally before that complaint that they made uh, even got to the Office of Congressional Ethics, I'd taken care of everything. I've spent the last year... Uh, dealing with this lie, Brianne, about me and my family. Uh, when my husband first heard about it, he goes, 
do we even have that kind of money? I'm like, no, we don't have that kind of money. You know, they can portray things in different ways because, uh, you know, when you sell a stock, you declare it between 1000 and 15000 Well, if I had a $1,000 trade that somebody did for me, they called it 15000 and added it all up. It's a complete fabrication. So in this case, I didn't do the trades. Uh, the Office of Congressional Ethics and House Ethics cleared me. They even asked me what could be done to fix the process so folks like me don't get tripped up in it. And they asked me that because I have a background uh, in government uh, training and development as well as in private as well. So I'm, I do not trade or execute my stocks uh, or, or purchase them. I don't think members should. Uh, it is paperwork uh, that's done. Uh, and a third party, uh, you know, takes care of the, all the stocks. I don't even look at them. Uh, and what they're doing, once again, is taking something that they've perpetuated and turned into a lie. And the unfortunate thing is, um, it, it's, it's not just an attack on my character, uh, which is what they're trying to do. It's also an attack on my husband. Um, and also, really, quite honestly, an attack on our uh, constituents uh, who are being fed a lie. Well, right now, in a, in a related issue, members of Congress are allowed to trade stocks uh, in companies that may be affected by their committee work. And the New York Times reported this was something that, that happened to you, that you had traded stocks in some companies that did work on the committees that you serve on. Is that something that should be changed going forward? You know, I think certainly that's probably something that can be looked at. But, I, you know, here's what I want to also point out. Uh, you know, what they use as an example there was Wells Fargo. Uh, and I found it humorous because during that time where they said, oh my gosh, I was overseeing uh, something with Wells Fargo and we had that stock. If you recall the hearing, it's when, they, when Wells Fargo outsourced jobs uh, and didn't pay uh, our workers here trade assistance. assistance. In the hearing, I grilled uh, the CEO uh, to the point where that trade adjustment assistance was made to the 300 and some odd uh, employees here in the West Des Moines facility, and then that CEO literally quit three weeks later. I wasn't going to let that guy get away with anything. These are people in our own district. These are jobs that we need. Uh, so it's you know to say that just because you know somebody traded, and again, not me, but my uh, you know the folks that manage my account, um, a stock, just because that's there. Look at the work too. Uh, that wouldn't be very smart for me if that was something that I was trying to benefit from. Uh, so I think what we should do is make sure that, that members are not purchasing or trading stocks. I think that that is the biggest you know, thing there. And if uh, that validation is there, I think that you know, we should be able to rely on the system uh, to do its work. You have said that you would like to codify Roe v. Wade in federal law. And you took a vote on a bill in the House that outline steps to do that. How would it work? And Republicans have said that goes a little bit farther than the context of Roe. So we, uh, in the House, voted on the Women's Health Protection Act, um, uh, and we need to get this signed into law. Uh, essentially, yes to your point, it would codify uh, Roe v. Wade, giving women across this country the ability to uh, get an abortion. Um, essentially limiting states from being able to override that. That's essentially what it is. Um, and so, uh, you know, I firmly believe, Kay, that this decision, uh, women's health decisions, women's reproductive health decisions, should be made between themselves, uh, their family, and their doctor. That's it. 
Uh, that's what this bill allows for. It also uh, allows uh, to make sure that uh, people who are involved don't get criminalized, doctors, uh, folks uh, who are helping women. Uh, we cannot get to a place uh, in this country uh, where we're criminalizing people for assisting with women's health care. Uh, and we certainly can't be in a place uh, where we are right now, which is taking away the rights of women across this country and where our young women uh, have less rights than, you know, our, their mothers do. Uh, so we're on a slippery slope here. Uh, the Republican Party obviously has said that they uh, want to pursue this agenda. My opponent is as extreme as it gets. He has said that he does not support abortion, even in the case of rape, even in the case of incest, even in the case of a mother's life. And on uh, ready to go on the floor, supported by other Republicans, uh, about 178, close to 180 of them, uh, is a bill that would uh, codify no abortions at conception. I mean, come on. Uh, this is very extreme. This is what we're up against uh, with the Republicans, who intend to make this a priority, K, if they take the House. This is uh, uh, a very, very important uh, time in our country's history. The first time that uh, the Supreme Court took away rights from Americans, uh, and the uh, Republican Party would like to codify that. And it's a very dangerous place, and one that we've got to ensure that we protect uh, America against. What about a bill about access to birth control? Yeah, uh, yes. That was part of the previous right. legislation. It, that's right. And so we passed a bill as well uh, to obviously allow contraception uh, to be sold in this country. Um, and, you know, we did get bipartisan, good bipartisan support on that. Um, and so that bill should move forward. Um, you know, <laughs> I really can't believe that we're talking about, you know, controlling people's contraception and having to put a piece of legislation in place uh, that's so deep in somebody's bedroom is ridiculous. But we have to. Polling shows that voters are consistently pegging the economy and inflation as their top issues this election cycle. You mentioned them earlier on. What more can you do to bring those issues under control? Well, the number one thing that we really need to do is ensure that corporations who've been just reaping these giant profits are not strapping Americans. And that's what we've had to deal with. First with uh, Big Oil, uh, who was not producing at pre-COVID levels just decided that they didn't need to go back to that because uh, uh, barrels were go going up in price, uh, getting up to you know, $150 a barrel. And uh, those uh, big oil uh, presidents were saying, hey, we're not going to cut the price at the pumps. We're going to give those shareholders back uh, you know, some more shareholder support, even if it rises to $150, $200 a barrel. We literally had to force big oil to start producing for America to the level that they were at pre-COVID. We're almost there. We've also opened up reserves to ensure that we're getting more uh, oil out there so folks can, uh, so we can get more gas into uh, our cars. Uh, we've expanded uh, biofuels. And as I mentioned, my piece of legislation, which allowed the infrastructure to build it out uh, across this country, is part of the key legislation that we passed over the summer. Uh, so we are actively working on reducing those prices at the pump. And then, of course, producing energy through uh, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, with wind, solar, and, and clean fuels. That's going to put a couple hundred bucks uh, in families' pockets uh, as we move towards a, a country of clean energy. And right now, people can take advantage of tax breaks for things like, you know, a better hot water heater, uh, windows, uh, you know, that can uh, weatherize their home, uh, go crazy on solar, uh, and produce their own energy and be able to use it, uh, you know, 
to make sure that they can uh, do everything for their home. So we are working on those issues, but we're also making sure that the structure works actively addressing things like monopolies in the market with the big four packers. I'm working on a bill right now with Randy Feenstra and in the House at Senator Tester and Grassley, and we are trying to uh, uh, really uh, ensure that we've got a piece of the consolidated market through our cash uh, cattle producers here, because we don't have a piece of that market. And so our prices aren't transparent. And what that means is they can manipulate market prices. We don't get as much for our cattle, and people pay more in the stores. We're fixing that. Uh, I was just with Secretary Vilsack as we continue to announce more opportunities for regional processing, bringing that back to Iowa so we can move from our farms to our processing and right to the market, lower prices, bring better products to the table. This is all, you know, things that we're working on. Uh, many things you'll start seeing prices go down, and we have seen that with fuel. Uh, but we are going to, you know, continue to focus on the future and bring prices down for folks and also make things here, Brianne. I know we need to move on, and you guys always want more questions, but it's really important that we make things in this country again. Because if we get strapped by having all our semiconductor chips being made in Taiwan, and then we can't even, you know, buy a toaster for a reasonable price, well, that's not how we should operate in this country. So we're bringing that back here to this country as well. And we already know we've, short, we've brought back to our country uh, over 350,000 jobs as a result of it. President Biden's plan for forgiving a portion of student loan debt for some Americans is now caught up in the courts. If the courts ultimately rule that it shouldn't move forward, should Congress in 2023 do it as a law? Um, well, we'll see what you know happens as a result of this. Um, I think what Congress should do is look at the cost of college in general and the and how well our loan system functions. Uh, I'm already on a bill right now uh, that uh, would cap uh, student loan interest rates at one percent. These are federally backed loans. Would uh, cap uh, pre uh, repayment back at no more than 5% of your income, which was one of the pieces within what the president did, uh, so that people aren't getting strapped with massive payments and they can't afford them because they're not even bringing in a decent paycheck. Uh, and then third, uh, that those payments would go uh, towards uh, that loan, not the interest, so that it doesn't turn into one of those, hey, I took out $100,000 and now it's $200,000, which we've seen over and over again. Uh, so we need to be looking at pieces of legislation like that. Uh, we also need to expand uh, Pell Grants and loan forgiveness, and in certainly in areas and industries where we're really feeling the pinch. Right here in Iowa, we need to be doing that with our teachers, uh, making sure that they've got grant forgiveness, loan forgiveness, uh, I should say, uh, and going into uh, the areas of need where we're seeing teachers leave because of, uh, unfortunately, the attack that the Republicans have on them here in our state. Uh, and so... Um, you know, we need to make sure that we're, uh, you know, supporting all of these opportunities within any legislation. We are actively working on bringing in more trade schools and apprenticeship programs. I think that's another key part of what we need to do. Um, we're seeing some of the successes of that as a result of the America Rescue Plan uh, and other pieces of legislation that we've put forward in the infrastructure bill to add more elements to our schools for trade schools and apprenticeship programs. Uh, but we have, we've got to do more. We've got to lower the cost of college because it's, you know, it's, it's, that's the big issue in general. We've got to stop this uh, gouging of folks when it comes to their loans where they go in and think they're going to get, you know, a 4 or 5% loan and then they end up with an 11% loan. That's got to stop. 
And it's got to be things like the bill I talked about. And then we've got to look at these colleges and make sure uh, that they're reducing expenses for the students because we're never going to get out from under this if we don't work in it from both directions. You said you've supported President Biden's plan to hire 87,000 additional IRS agents. Why? Uh, because uh, those IRS agents are actually going to help us audit those, uh, those very wealthy in the corporations um, and make sure that the taxes that those folks aren't paying come in the door. Uh, let's be very clear here. This is another situation where the Republicans um, uh, are trying to craft a picture that isn't true. Uh, one that says that uh, middle class Americans uh, taxes are going to get raised, not true, um, and that they're going to get audited, not true. Um, you know, the pieces of policy that bring in the IRS agents are, are really to bring in that $160 billion, my goodness, $160 billion of unpaid taxes uh, because we don't have enough folks auditing those higher earners. There are so many loopholes with those higher earners that you and I barely even would can brush the surface of even knowing about. You know, they can offshore jobs. They can, you know, offshore their taxes in different ways. They can find all kinds of loopholes and effectively pay very little tax. And so in this case, um, you know, these are folks who aren't even paying their taxes, though, because they know they're not going to get audited. That's what it's for. It's that $160 billion that's sitting out there from folks who make millions. And let me make this very clear to folks because the Secretary of Treasury Yellen, as well as the President, in writing, said that no one uh, who makes under $400,000 a year will see any increase in percentages of audits. It's going to be on folks who make, you know, those are the half million dollar folks, right? That's who's going to see that because they need to pay their taxes just like regular Iowa folks are. Cindy Axney, there's no loophole here. I have to tell you, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Iowa Press. Thank you, Kay. Thank you, Brianne. If you have missed any of the Iowa Press election coverage over the past few weeks, you can see it online at iowapbs.org. For everyone here at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Fuel Iowa is a voice and a resource for Iowa's fuel industry. Our members offer a diverse range of products, including fuel, grocery, and convenience items. They help keep Iowans on the move in rural and urban communities. Together, we fuel Iowa. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com.